So we're going to go ahead and get started um, with, our Sunday, with our Sunday school lesson today. We are studying today's lesson, May 10th, uh, lesson 11, uh, and it is in the unit, excuse me, unit three, the eternal king. So the subject of today's lesson, one king over all. Today's lesson is taken from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 15 through 25. Scriptures relating to this lesson are found in Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. Michael, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. The Gospel of John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, and the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. The time of this lesson is 585 BC, and the place is Babylon. The golden text read, and David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them, Ezekiel 37 and 24. I did not identify anybody to do the introduction today, but if someone on the line felt led to read our introduction, please do so. Yeah. This is Sister Lester. Thank you. The Romani people, often called gypsies, are a unique ethnic group within their own culture. They have been dispersed across Europe for centuries and many have immigrated to the Americas. During World War II, they died by the thousands in concentration camps alongside Jews. In fact, the Romani people have much in common with the Jewish people. Both groups have maintained their ethnic identity even as they have been dispersed throughout the world and severely persecuted. There are two glaring contrasts though. First, while the Romanis are still without a homeland of their own, the Jews have reestablished their nation in Israel. Second, while Jews, by and large, continue to reject Jesus as their Messiah, in recent decades, hundreds of thousands of Romanis have come to faith in Christ. Many Romanis have found a spiritual home, even as they wander the earth. Many Jewish people have found a home of their own in their ancient land, but they lack the peace only the true Messiah can bring. The amazing promise of God is that all the Jews will turn to faith in Jesus, their Messiah. Thank you, Sister Celeste. Our lesson today has two outlines. The first outline is the prophetic signs for the nation. And the second one is the prophetic promise for the nation. That will include our opening up for this service. So right now we are going to turn it over to our pastor who will develop this lesson and bring it out 
as God has given it to him. So thank you. Pastor? Amen. Uh, can everyone hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Just check. All right, another uh, exciting lesson. Uh, we're going to try to uh, break bread properly here because it's a lot of information, uh, especially um, historical information that you can find in this lesson. One King overall. The, in terms of introduction, I will say that uh, you have to go back to Second uh, Chronicles. Second Chronicles around the sixth chapter, I believe, where it talks about Rehoboam. And Rehoboam made an unwise decision. Matter of fact, I'm looking at it right now. It's the 11th chapter where Rehoboam made a, uh, a very unwise decision. And uh, that was around 931 BC, where he made this decision of, uh, not listening to the people. The folks came to him, uh, Jeroboam came to him and tried to plead the case of the people. And he was saying that Solomon had made it so hard on the folks that they just wanted a little, little uh, you know, wanted him to ease up a little bit economically and uh, in terms of material goods, Solomon really uh, asked a lot of the people so they went to Rehoboam and say, hey, can you ease up a little bit? And Rehoboam basically said, give me about three days to talk about this. And when uh, I'll consult with some folks and then I'll give you an answer. Uh, well, Rehoboam first went to the elders and the elders uh, basically told him, yeah, the folks have a point. You know, uh, your uh, father Solomon did ask a lot of them. Uh, so can you, uh, yeah, I would advise, we would advise that you would ease off the folks and just, you know, kind of not like uh, be so hard on them. And um, so Rehoboam listened to them and, and said, uh, you know what, I'm going to listen to some more folks. So he went to his friends, folks around his age, his age group, and pretty much uh, asked them to chime in on it. And uh, when he went to his uh, contemporaries, folks his age, they had a different spin. The elders were saying, you know, ease up on them. But his friends were saying, hey, they thought uh, your father was hard. Man, tell, tell them, go back and tell them, hey, if, hey, if you thought my daddy was hard, wait until you get a, a taste of me. I'm gonna be way harder on you all. I'm gonna demand more on you and more from you. Well, that's not what the people wanted to hear. And when he came back, the three days had passed and Jeroboam came back to him and talked to him. And uh, he said, uh, Rehoboam said, you know what? Here's my decision. I'm going with what the, what the younger folks had told me. My, my group, my clique told me and I'm going to go that route. So tell the people I'm going harder on them. And um, what ends up happening is it was a split in the kingdom. Uh, Jeroboam ended up uh, taking what is known as Israel, the Northern portion of uh, the nation. And then Jeroboam, Rehoboam 
or not Rehoboam, yeah, Rehoboam was uh, left with the southern uh, portion of the nation. Now, you got to remember that the uh, northern group was made up of uh, 11 tribes, and then the southern group was made up of uh, two, which was Judah and Benjamin. So from that point on, there was a split. And this is the background of, uh, of the nation. However, you have to also consider the fact that in the Northern Kingdom, there was not one king that was in place that pleased God. I mean, it was just one, just one sad story after the other. They came into office and they either died tragically or did some things that drove people even further away from them. Then in the Southern Kingdom, you had some, it was a hit or miss. Some you had that were trying to please God and actually some pleased God, but the, uh, but the majority of them were uh, doing their own thing to a point where in 722 BC, the Northern Kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And then of course we know that the Babylonians came and took the Southern Kingdom into captivity and the dates fluctuate there. Some say that their deportation started taking place in 605 BC. Some writers say the deportation started taking place in 597, 597 BC. So um, the reason why they were deported, both parts of the nation were uh, deported, was because God told them, if you don't follow what I prescribed, then judgment will come, and this judgment will be that you will, you will lose your land. And uh, more or less, that is the background. So we're going to dive into uh, these um, verses that are before us on today, starting with Ezekiel, the 37th chapter and the 15th verse. I didn't, I didn't um, go over all of the background because I wanted to save a portion for someone to chime in on. And part of the background has to do with this 37th chapter of Ezekiel, verses 1 through 14. Anyone want to take a stab and tell us what that was about? Because we're starting at the 15th verse. What was Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14? What was that about? Was that about the Valley of the Dry Bones? <clears throat> right. Can you can you uh, tell us a bit about that story? I'll give somebody else an opportunity first. All right. Those bones, those bones, those dry bones. Anybody? Well, I I think it was in a dream that Ezekiel had been. Um, in a vision, he was he was in the Valley of the Dry Bones, right? Right. And 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 and, and I, um, the dry bones. Going back to 
the book of Leviticus, I believe uh, God had, it's where he was talking about blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. Mm -hmm. And part of those cursings was that in disobedience that they would, um, that he would, let me turn there, that he would, that he would, uh, their carcasses would be scattered and, and they would be uh, all died out, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's so it appears that the bones that Ezekiel is coming up on in this, in, in this vision, uh, the bones of the Jews that, uh, maybe a Jewish army that had been destroyed, and they were all white bones. There were no flesh and everything on it. So let me go into it. I don't want to teach a lesson, but he said, uh, God asked him in the vision, can these, dry bones, can these bones live? And he right. said, Lord, you know, right? So, and that's when, you know, God brought the bones to life. This was the army and that was a whole lot of people. So back to you, Pastor. That's, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that's right, though. Um, pretty much, you, you definitely described the story and I just hit on a couple of points about that. It was a vision, as you stated, that was given to Ezekiel. And the point of that is it was to, it was an object lesson to show the state of uh, Israel at that time, how they appeared to be totally wiped out and done and dead. And so Ezekiel goes, uh, he's taken to this, uh, this valley of dry bones and you're right, they, the, bo the bones were bleached pretty much and there was no life in them at all. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, Amen. once again, these bones were representative of the nation of Israel. Israel. And the state that they were in was pretty much done and over. And Ezekiel turns back to the Lord and says, oh, sovereign God, only you know, right? And God pretty much told him, um, yes, I'm going to breathe breath into them. I'm going to put tenants and flesh on the bones and they will live once again, which was saying that Israel wasn't done. Israel is not done. That the nation, God's people, were not done. They had another chapter to their story. And that's what this whole lesson is about. It's about restoration, unification, and purification. That nation was not done, although it had some hard times and it had some trials and it had uh, judgment fall upon it because of its ill decisions. God still was on the throne and God's promise was uh, true. God uh, would definitely see them through. And as I stated, it was another chapter to this story. And the relevance to us today is that I don't care how bleak the situation may be, it may seem to you, God still is on the throne and there's another chapter to your story, amen. So we're going to get into these uh, verses now. And it says, the word of the Lord, in, in uh, verse 15, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, uh, verse 16, moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, 
and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Any comments? What did you all get out of your studies this week on those two verses? Pastor, when he talked about son of man, that was a word um, that um, was uh, pulled out in the expositor where he was talking about humanity, focusing on humanity. That's right. That's right. Anyone else? I also thought about the fact you and you mentioned it before that this this is an object lesson. So it's it's nothing new under the sun. I mean, this the the word of God. We talk about object lessons now, but in the, in the word of God, we see it right here. That it's nothing new that they were right. doing during Ezekiel's time. That's right. That's right. Man. Anyone else? Right. Thank, thank you for your uh, comments, sister. Um, yeah, I, the uh, 15th verse, as stated, it says, The word of the Lord came again, again unto me, saying. Now, you, if you recall, in the book of Ezekiel, he had a lot of uh, lessons, if you will, that were object lessons. Uh, they cited in the, um, I believe in the expositor, they cited how uh, he had an object lesson in the uh, fourth chapter, the fifth chapter, and I want to I want to say probably the twelfth chapter as well, where he had these uh, lessons where folks uh, had uh, seen his actions and they were trying to understand what he what well, what he was doing. And one of the object lessons, he had to lay on his side for a certain amount of days and then flip sides and lay on lay lay on the other side for another certain amount of days and people were trying to figure out what is he doing, what is going on. And another object lesson, he had to actually cook his food, if you remember. He had to make a meal with, uh, with human feces. Why was he cooking it like that? And, and then he objected and said, Lord, I, I, I just don't want to do that. And then the, then the Lord said, okay, you can use cow. And uh, so all of these lessons, these object lessons were for a reason. And I'll let you all in your time go back and read those and, and uh, get explanation as to what those uh, object lessons were about, the point of them. But this one is the uh, last one. And he comes with a very direct and straight object lesson. And it begins really, um, to uh, tell of itself in verse 16. He says, moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companion. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companion. So the Lord basically told uh, Ezekiel to grab hold of two sticks. Now, you remember, if, if you recall in Numbers, each tribe had a rod or, or to represent, if you will, its uh, tribe with certain markings and things of that nature. And I believe the leading elder of the tribe would have that um, rod or stick. And uh, so it bounces back or reflects back to uh, that time to make, to make that relevant. But nevertheless, there was just two sticks that represented 
two parts of the nation. The first stick was to represent the southern kingdom, Judah, and that uh, that was made up of, uh, like I said, of Benjamin and uh, and Judah, and then the other were made up of the rest of the tribes, and it was uh, referred to as Joseph here. Anyone wants to explain why it stated Joseph? Why did it use Joseph? The words Joseph and Ephraim, the names Joseph and Ephraim. Anybody want to chime in on that? Okay, well, we know that uh, Joseph was uh, one of the 12 sons, right? And we also know that Ephraim was a son of uh, Joseph. They said that Ephraim, if you recall, sometimes in the Old Testament, Ephraim was the name of Israel or was used as the name of Israel, another name for the northern kingdom. And why Ephraim was uh, uh, used as a substitute name for the northern kingdom? Well, some feel that it may have been the most numerous or the most influential or the most powerful out of all the tribes uh, that it combined with. And uh, so, we had two sticks representing two um, sides, if you will, the north and the south sides of the nation. And he was to do something with these sticks, right? So verse 17 and 18 says, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And 18 says, and when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Anyone wants to chime in on that? Anyone? Even though the nation of Israel had been broken up after Solomon's reign um, um, into the northern kingdom with the ten tribes and then the uh, two tribes with the with Judah, that they would be one again. Mm -hmm. That's right. That exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, any anyone else before I go and take my stab at it? Okay, you're right, sister, once again, it talks about the reunification of the two. So he was to join them one to another, as verse 17 states, join one stick to another. Now, there was different um, interpretations in regards to his joining. Some folks felt that uh, what this meant is that he had actually two sticks in his hand and he was just simply, simply binding them together or holding them together in one hand. Others actually believe that a miracle took place where he started off with two sticks in one hand and then at some point they became one. And then there's a third spin on it. And the third spin says, rather than like the first where he was holding two sticks side to side possibly, and rather than the second where the two became literally one, 
he basically, the third uh, interpretation says that he basically just held the two sticks at end and he held those in his hand and it made it look like uh, one stick. It's almost like the game I used to play with my kids where uh, when all the big French fries were gone from our McDonald's, I used to get two little ones and just hold them at ends and and just trick them and say, ooh, big one. It's, and they thought it was a big one. So it's like uh, just holding it in a way where it looked like it was two, where it was one stick, two was one, basically. And it was representing the, the reunification, the reunification of the two uh, nations that had once been together. You know, um, if we just march down our street a little bit uh, and understand what it takes for people to be united and reunite people, sometimes it takes nothing less than a miracle to do that, right? We can look at relationships within our families. We can look at relationships in terms of friendships. We can even look in relationship in terms of uh, church members and being part of church family. Sometimes God um, has to uh, work a miracle to bring restoration and reunification even in the midst of his own people. And this is what this is pointing to. It's pointing to the fact that the two will become one. And he did this in a way, right? Ezekiel Ezekiel followed the Lord's instructions, and he did this in a way where uh, the people had to scratch their heads and ask a question and say, okay, what is this fella up to now, right? And that's what verse 18 is saying. The children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, will thou not show us what thou mean meanest by this or by these? So they were just begging for an explanation here because of the way he performed uh, his acts. You know, you know, uh, like I said, looking back in the past, we folks saw him laying on the ground for like, you know, days and then they saw him cooking stuff real crazy. And now they see him coming out with two sticks and they say, okay, what is he up to again? And God said, they're going to inquire because inquiring minds want to know, right? They're going to ask, okay, what is he up to? So then we go into verse uh, 19. And verse 19 says, Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And in verse 20 says, and the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. Any comments? And I pretty much explained that, but any further comments? Okay. If not, um, I have noticed nothing further to add on those uh, verses either. So let's go to verse 21 and say unto them thus saith the lord behold i will take the children of israel from among the heathen whither thy they uh, be gone 
and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. Okay, any comments on this, on this verse? Let me read verse 22 as well. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Okay, any comments on 21 and 22? Pastor, I was thinking that um, another reason why they might be questioning Ezekiel was because it had been like, I said, 350 years since the Israelite people had been united as one nation. So the people then really probably didn't even have any concept of that. They're like, they, it wasn't in their lifetime. And mm -hmm. so it was kind of foreign to them. And, but I'm sure they had read about it or heard about it. And so they could have just thought that um, this would take place, you know, when they were released um, from Babylon. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you. Any further comments? Verse 21 um, has a, uh, a point that I definitely want to bring out, and it says, And say unto them, Thou thus uh, saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen. What, uh, what does he mean he will take them from among the heathen? Because Talking about the it, rulers of the time? Say once again. Were you talking about the rulers of the time? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So from the nations which they had been been scattered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, this from Trump. I'm sorry. Say it one more time. He said he's talking about relieving us from Trump. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I try, I try to tie that in. It. <laughs> right. Make it plain. Make it plain. Make it plain. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But it. But basically, what he was saying is that Israel. He was pointing back to Israel, and historically, like I told you all at the beginning of the lesson, that Israel, the northern portion of the of the nation was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And I know you all heard all of this before uh, because this was a favorite point of uh, Elder Williamson and as well as Elder Mack, where the Assyrians had a way of dealing with folks or nations that they captured. Um, in order for them to feel at ease with the folks that they've captured, they practiced uh, divide and conquer. So what they did is they got um, a group of nations that they captured and just mixed them all up and made sure that they would not uh, reunite to come against them. So they just mixed them all up, mixed the cultures all up and everything so that um, they would not, like I said, band together as one and be, uh, a force against them. And what nation or what group of people came from that practice? The Assyrians. The Samaritans, right? Samaritans, yes. Samaritans, right. The Samaritans, which which the pure 
Jewish people called what? Half half breeds, right? Yeah. They detested uh, the Samaritans, but nevertheless, with um, all that mixing up and with all the the um, like I said, the down times that these nations were going through, um, you have to really appreciate the miracle within the details because the details tell you that this nation was decimated, right? This nation of Israel was decimated. How in the world can you bring these people back together again uh, if they are spread it all out, if they're marrying people from other nations, if they don't have their homeland anymore, if they have forgotten about, you know, the God that promised them, um, you know, the Abrahamic um, covenant and the Vatic covenant and all of these covenants, and and they no longer have any of these uh, things to cling on to, how how will they come together again as a nation? It couldn't be nothing but God to do this in terms of bringing them back together and restoring that nation as it once was. Amen. And, uh, wasn't, that part, wasn't that the point and part of the object lesson of the dry bones? Exactly. What God could do to show that I am God, that, you know, these are the things that I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah, because... Yeah, from the human perspective, they were dead and done, right? And also, excuse me, uh, Pastor, uh, when Jesus met the woman at the well, it more or less the conversation between her and Jesus, uh, just, you know, what we are talking about, described as to what the belief was with the Jews and their Samaritans also. That's right. That's right. 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 I mean, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the Assyrians not only took uh, the Israelites, uh, uh, integrated other nations with uh, uh, the northern northern tribe, which was Israel, mm -hmm. but then the Israelites that they did take out, they put them with other nations and intermingled them with those other nations outside of uh, Palestine. Yeah. And, uh, and that's and it was really uh, uh, dense in regards to where these particular Israelites were. We know that God knew where they, where they were, and and this is why He said He's going to uh, bring them back and make them one stick. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been said that oh no 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 God is dead and God is God is done with uh, Israel, the Northern Kingdom, and uh, He's never never going to. I heard that being said, but I see here in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel that God is going to bring the whole nation back just uh, just like he had, uh, uh, like he was. He's, he's going to bring it, bring them all back, you know, and uh, uh, though I know that later on in the lesson is going to uh, go into detail and let us know what that is. How you Amen. Go about that. Man, any further comments? Verse 22, verse 22 brings it out a little more too. And he says, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. That's an important phrase there. What, what, what did this mean? Not, not only did God promise to reunite them, right, as a people, 
but you also said what? That he was going to make them a great nation again. Mm -hmm. And this was part of the Abrahamic covenant, right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. It was part of the Abraham covenant. And matter of fact, one writer said that if you look at this lesson, it kind of like blends in all of the um all of the past covenants right the abrahamic covenant the davidic covenant and of course the new covenant it brings it all together in this lesson here and um, the point that we can bring out too in this phrase is he said that one nation in the land upon the mountains of israel they weren't going to go to some other folks land to be reunited right they weren't going to go to any other land they were going to they were going home <laughs> even though it looked as if um, home would be no more and they could not get that promised land anymore god told them no not only am i going to restore you restore you and uh, bring you back together again but I'm going to bring you back together, reunite you in the same place that I promised you from the start. And like I said, this is nothing short of a miracle as well. God was going to do great things for this nation that appeared to be wrote off and done with, amen. And then he says that not only are you gonna be one uh, nation in the, in the land that I promised you at first, but he says, and one king shall be Over. to all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. What does this refer to, this one king? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's right, that's right, that's right. He brought, he was bringing, now, like I told you, when you look at prophecy you got to look at it from a now or later type of perspective and that's exactly who ezekiel started pointing to that this was going to point to the messiah bringing these uh, uh folks and bringing this nation together uh, and then leading them and it will no longer be one king for the north and one king for the south it will be one king Amen. Any further comments on verse 22? Amen. Verse 23 says, Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them, so shall they be my people and I will be their God. What is this talking about? What is this pointing to? Yeah, I believe it's, it's referring to what he had 
told them in the previous chapter, in the 36th chapter, where he said, I'll, take, I'll give you a new heart and I'll sprinkle clean water on you. Right. Uh, you right. know, and, and it's those uh, apostasies that they had, because uh, uh, they, they felt that they were uh, those particular sins, they were abominable sins that they, they felt that they, now that they were Israelites and that God was, uh, 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 that they had uh, God on their side, that they still could do some of those uh, abominable sins that uh, the heathen nations did, but God just. So now it, it's, uh, God said, "Well, I'm, I'm going to clean. I'm going to clean you up, and He's going to He's going to regulate them, just like He gave them the law to enter into the Promised Land. He said, "I'm going to regulate you now in regards to the kingdom of the Messiah." Mm -hmm. So on his holy mountain, like you said, this particular mountain, just like he took him to the outer Egypt to Mount Sinai, he's mm -hmm. going to go back to the mountain here, and he's going to show them how this thing is going to be in in the the new kingdom, which more than likely we can say is the millennial kingdom, mm -hmm. and this is how they're going to be uh, in the millennial kingdom, where there is going to be a, a on my holy, now it's going to be holiness going on here. The, the beautiness of holiness is getting rid of all of the sin and everything. And like you said, the obvious lesson for us today is that this is how he wants us to be. You know, holy. He said, be ye holy because I'm holy. So uh, getting rid of all the sin, all these detestable things of worship, idol worship. Though we, even today we can idol worship, you know. And but on his holy mountain, the mindset is not, it just almost seems like you're in heaven being in the millennial kingdom where, you know, it's those. No, it's no sin, but there is sin because people are born with sin nature still in the millennium. Millennium. Amen. Amen. Any, any further? Any further comment? Okay. And, and it, yeah, thank you, uh, Elder, for those comments. And it says that uh, neither shall they defile themselves, right, anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of their dwelling places where they have sinned and will cleanse them. So they shall uh, be my people and will be, and I will be their God. Um, let, me, let me read a comment that one uh, writer has stated. He says that, uh, what would maintain the unity of the people? And his answer is, the Lord would cleanse them and renew spiritual life within them so that they no longer had any ambitions to compete with one another. So what I got out of that is that um, not only reuniting folks physically was a miracle, but reuniting them inwardly is a miracle as well. Amen. Because what it tells you is that, uh, you know, folks are naturally like competitive and they have ambitions and everything else. But to be on one accord is a challenge. So it's a spiritual process that is taking place here. Not only will he restore them, not only will he reunite them, but now we're talking about how he will purify them. And you're right, Elder Mack, it does point back to that 36th chapter where, and it also points to Jeremiah, right, where God 
basically stated that I'm going to have to put a different heart in you. I'm going to have to put a, a, a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, and then you will be moved to obey my commandments, and you'll be moved to obey my law. And that's what God had to do. God had to clean them from the inside out, and uh, he had to take them away from their dwelling places. You know, when you're, in the, when you're doing wrong, you also are in the wrong places doing wrong, right? You, do, you got your place to go. You got your certain um, hangout spots. And, and uh, Israel had their certain hangout spots. There were certain mountains that were dedicated uh, with altars for gods, different gods. And they were hanging out there and doing whatever sacrifices that they thought pleased that God. So they were at certain hill sides and everything else. And that's their, that was their hangout spots. And God said, we're going to do away with all of that. And you are going to serve me because I'm going to change you from the inside out. And you will be uh, my people. And I will be your God. That's what he was saying here. Any further comments? Of three? Yeah, yeah, but, but, but Pastor, um, the uh, mm -hmm. um, tribulation period really... Mm -hmm really got their attention mm. and uh uh and we know that the 144,000 Jews 12 from each 12,000 from each tribe went around evangelizing the world mm. and out of that came uh, the saved the Jews a lot of Jews got saved you know a lot of mm. Gentiles got saved but uh when Jesus came back in on the mountain Olive, this is where he uh judged where Armageddon and all that and he mm. put those that were saved on his right hand and those that were not he destroyed on the left those were uh, goats on his left and he destroyed them with the words of his mouth so that all of that really really got their attention uh in regards to who their messiah is and they mm -hmm. saw him with, with their own eyes that jesus was the, their messiah and uh, uh all of this and then we i was one thing that, that little strip that the Jews live in to live on today here on the face of this earth, mm -hmm. it's not just gonna be that little strip <laughs> in the millennial kingdom. It's gonna be the whole wide world mm -hmm. that uh, the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom uh, would be. Amen. Amen. And, I, and as I stated, yes, you gotta look at not only the now and how it uh, related to them then but it, like i said prophecy talks about the later as well the time to come and um i thought one um point that was brought out in our expositor was uh very sobering and it was uh found on page 139 and uh, it was probably about that fourth uh, paragraph where it basically said uh, that you know, these precious promises that God uh, made, they were going to be fulfilled. And God was going to come uh, through and keep his word. However, sometimes you're not around to see the fulfillment of them. You know, you're not around to see uh, God uh, work it out. Uh, sometimes uh, you're gone and you, you're up in heaven and um, God works it out uh, after that. 
but nevertheless, he keeps his promises and, um, and he works out things. Sometimes there's prayers that, are, that will be answered after you're gone from here, but the Lord will give you peace about it and he will um, give you a, a, an answer when you're with him, amen, in regards to those uh, prayers. But um, the prayer may not be worked out in your lifetime sometimes. But nevertheless, it was pretty much saying that God is a promise keeper, um, but his timetable is not your timetable. Amen. Amen. And it goes on and says here in verse 24, and David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Man, this is getting more so in, into what the elder point was, is talking about that millennial kingdom now, and, and it's talking about who will rule, and there's a lot of interesting takes on this uh, verse. So I'm going to um, open it up once again and ask you all, what did you get out of the verse here? Some, some think. Um, Go ahead. Uh, Sister Maria, we can't hear you if you're commenting. That it won't be actually King David. It's because of, um, is it an error of David? Okay. Okay. Anyone else? David there, you know, uh, we know that David, uh, uh, his, his bones are still in the earth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was said that, uh, God was going to raise David from the, from the grave and, uh, uh, set him on the throne in, in the millennial kingdom. And it would not be Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But I, I was feeling, I, I kind of had a problem with that. That view mm -hmm. is because uh, of who uh, God said Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And David was not Israel's Messiah, though David was one after God's own heart. And this is the same way the, Israel's Messiah uh, is as well, because Israel's Messiah is none, none other than Jesus Christ. And if anybody that was human was after the lowest heart and was sinless at the same time was Jesus Christ. And we know that David, you know, couldn't build the temple because the blood was on his hands. And uh, we know that we find in the scriptures still that David did, was out of line with adultery and some of these other things. We don't find no, not one incident about Jesus. And he is their Messiah. And he is going to be, this is my, my view, I believe, mm -hmm. not necessarily opinion, I believe that Jesus Christ is the one who's going to be sitting on the throne, and we can say the throne of David, but, he, but though he's alluding to, uh, and David, my servant, I mean, you know, it's like you said, that's a, it's, it's a, a symbolic of Jesus. David, my servant, really is King Jesus. Mm -hmm. Amen. And he shall reign over them 
and like a shepherd. And he didn't have that opportunity in his three years, three and a half years while he was down here, but uh, that was his first coming. But his second coming, his second advent coming down, uh, descending on the face of this earth, he coming down to reign, amen, as king in the millennial kingdom. So that's that. That's what that, that, in regards to David. That's that's who he's a, a symbolic of David, you know. And uh, but he's real, you know. <laughs> he's real. The symbolism is you know, is just. I, I believe it's the outer surface, but the inner part of that is really Jesus. Mm -hmm. I agree with uh, that. I think it's also supported in verse twenty-two, where it says, "And I will make them one nation." in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided. So that one king, I think in, in referring to David, it's really referring to the Messiah. That yeah. is King Jesus. Uh, yes, also, um, uh, my take is getting back to the two sticks, how he would bring all them together as one. And just like the sister was saying earlier, uh, that one will Messiah will come from, which we know from the uh, from Judah, and which is David, that he would be my servant and king over all. It was it more talking about them getting back together, and then from one that he will make a king, and so this king will be the shepherd that lead and come from the, the lineage of David. Can I also interject that um, under David, the people would know their history. One thing about the Jews, no matter how far gone they were, they always relied on their history. So mm -hmm. even though they had not known or had not lived um, to know one kingdom, their history would have told them that under David, the kingdom was not divided, that the mm -hmm. kingdom was ruled by a shepherd king who uh, they were they were one nation. They came together as a nation under this shepherd king. So that would be the perfect example that they would understand. They may mm -hmm. not fully understand who the Messiah is and when he was coming, they would have understood that he would come from the line of David. But this uh, made a perfect example of something that they could understand that had been passed down through their history. They had to know at one point they had been one great nation under one king. And someday it would happen again. And, it, and that king would come from the line of the king who had once been a great king and they were all unified. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, is this uh, any further comments uh, before I take a stab at it? Okay, yeah, th this was a very interesting uh, verse, uh, this 24th verse. And the reason why it was uh, most interesting is because of the um, interpretations on it. Uh, first of all, let me say that. Uh, major theologians differ as to who David, the, the name David refers to. 
Uh, if you side on the MacArthur, Sproles, Evans, and then Feinberg, uh, you will, and, and they got a slew of others. They say David uh, refers to uh, the Messiah, okay? But then if you go to the uh, white Pentecost and, uh, and uh, others in his camp, they say, uh, don't be too uh, quick on that. Don't be too quick to say that it is the Messiah, right? Because there are several things that support that God may resurrect David during the millennial kingdom to rule as regent over uh, the nation of Israel, Palestine specifically. It does not mean, in his interpretation, it doesn't mean that David would be uh, king over all uh, of the millennium kingdom or millennial kingdom or the nation or the world as a whole. We know that the Messiah would be uh, the king, but David would be co-regent, meaning he would be assigned a certain area, specifically uh, the Palestine area. So he brought that out and he supported it with numerous points. For example, he says, if you look back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Jesus was never referred to as David, uh, my servant. He was referred to and some other, like son of David or something on that line. He, that was just to anchor one point. And then, of course, you have the third uh, group that believed that it was a, a, an heir of David, meaning that it was uh, someone that, um, uh, that would, that should be king at that time or could be king at that time because they were of the family and line and lineage, I should say, of David. Well, that one had the least support because it was stating that because of how the nation was conquered and their whole system uh, of keeping up with family lineage had to do or was kept at the temple. And so when the temple was destroyed and decimated, a record of your lineage was just destroyed. So no one would know who should be king or, or anything at that line. And, and then the other point that made that doubtful is the fact that to say that a human, uh, a human um, person or, or that would be existing at that time, that would be living at that time, would, would actually be king is to show um, some deficiency in terms of Jesus being able to reign or uh, something on that line. I'm, I'm trying to remember that argument all the way probably have to get back with you all on that one. But nevertheless, there were three views on this. And uh, most people believe that it was referring to uh, the Messiah. However, there is a, a sufficient group that believe that it was referring to David actually being co-regent. Uh, David being literally resurrected and uh, reigning. Um, uh, in a certain area, and then I and then I say a very few people believe 
that it was um, another um, descendant of David. Okay. And then when it talks about walking in my judgments and statutes, well, that points you back to Psalms, the 19th chapter, when, when you saw all those uh, synonyms for God's word. Well, a synonym for God's word was judgment. And another synonym for God's word was statutes. And these things point to the fact that uh, what God says is his, um, his outline, his, uh, his um, view, his, his uh, word is true and it will be true and he will stand by it. And you can pretty much guarantee what he stated and what he says he will do. And that's what judgments and statutes uh, point to. All right, I hope I didn't confuse you all and cleared it up just a little bit. And then uh, 25 says this, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they, even their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. And what is this saying? Basically it's saying that um, not only will he restore, not only is this story about restoration, not only is it about reunification, but it's also about purification. And it's not those three points for just a short period of time, but this is talking about forever. God is going to establish something where folks will not uh, revolt against it again, where the nation will not split up again, and where a king, a young king would listen to his uh, homies and then all of a sudden uh, break up the whole nation. That won't happen again. It won't happen again where you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. None of those things will occur again. God will be king. As is stated in uh, Revelations, he will be king of king and lord of lords. So what we've learned in this lesson is not only will God restore you to the place that um, you were in previously, but he can do greater things. Even when the situation looks bleak and it looks like you have no opportunity to improve and it looks like you're dead and done, he can still do great things and he can work the situation out and you can be better than you were before. And then not only will he uh, restore you, but he will reunite you. And that reunification has to do with these horizontal things. When, you're, when your vertical relationship is, is tight and it's right, then he can help you work on some of these horizontal relationships when they seem all dead and done and, and people are in their feelings and they don't feel like um, they ever will be close to you again, or family members don't feel like they can ever be family again. Well, God can work things out inwardly where you can reunite and you can be family again and loving again. So don't count out relationships as well. And then it's talking about purification. And that has to do with the fact that God can clean people from the inside out he can change your heart. He can change perspectives. He can change attitudes. 
ambition and competition can be done away with just love and embracement and with everyone having each other's best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. So it's a powerful lesson if you look at it from those uh, from that perspective. Amen. 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 All right. And if there are no further comments, I will uh, get back to the uh, superintendent. And I would say my last words is happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Uh, God bless you. I hope you enjoy your day. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. That was another beautiful lesson. And another thing that about the lesson, I, I, I see that more people are joining in the discussion, which is what we really want. It's an open discussion for everybody. And the more people that uh, take part in the discussion of the lesson, the better it is. So I appreciate those that chimed in today. And um, there are a couple of people, I don't know if they're still on the phone, that I actually would like to have you identify yourselves. I don't recognize. There's one, uh, there are two. Praise the Lord. Uh, well, once again, happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Uh, sometimes, like, uh, men can be raising their children in the father and mother capacity. God bless you. But nonetheless, amen, relationship is what we desire. As we hear a word from God, a relationship with God is what we're looking for, what God is looking for. That's what he created man for, to serve him. His grace and mercy was enacted when Adam and Eve sinned. We didn't need it as mankind before Adam and Eve sinned. But because of that, God showed his grace and mercy. And from his grace and mercy, we see throughout uh, history that God has shown his mercy and grace leading up to what our lesson is talking about today, the Messiah coming to die for our sin and to give his life as a ransom only for us. Though we, while we were yet sinners, he did this for us. We realized this in regards to eternity past that he knew us when we give our lives, lives to the Lord and we started to understand the word, starting to understand the word of God by which we can say that, wow, God knew me. He, he, he forgave sins of past, he forgave sins of the present and sins of the future. And I know that applies to all of us, those that are, have a relationship with the Lord. And this is, in order to have this particular relationship, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, one would have to believe in that. And this is what we are looking for, looking for in regards to and outreach is there one in our on our zone today that don't know who Jesus is in the pardon of their sin? And is there one today on our zone who is a believer and have fallen by the wayside some kind of a way, backslidden, and would like to come back? Extending this invitation to them as well. So we just ask right now, for those who don't know who Jesus is, uh, I'm not telling you what to do, but this is what you have to do. You have to confess with your mouth. You have to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you believe that, thou shalt be saved because there's no other name given by which we may be saved, but that by the name of Jesus, 
So I'm just, we're just asking today, is there one? And if you want to voice it on the Zoom, you can. So we're just asking right now, for those who want to be restored, you can voice it on this Zoom right now. And as we go forward, we want to pray us out, if that's all right, Sister Ratcliffe. Sister Ratcliffe? That's right. Okay. 